Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Greg Laurie Podcast, a ministry supported by Harvest Partners. I'm Greg Laurie, encouraging you. If you want to find out more about Harvest Ministries and learn more about how to become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org. Okay, who wants to hear a Bible study? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Grab your Bibles and let's all turn to Matthew chapter 2. The title of my message is The Gift, How to Keep Christmas Happy. Well, now that Christmas is well on us, we're all shopping. How many of you have gone down to a mall and gone shopping yet? Raise your hand up. You've been to a mall. Not that many of you. How many of you are shopping online? Okay, more of you. How many of you have not even started shopping? Raise your hand. That's me. I haven't even started. How many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? I don't understand you people, but I have to admit I admire you a great deal. Well, I I was thinking about this the other day. What is the worst Christmas gift I've ever received? Uh, Think about it for a moment. The worst Christmas gift you ever received. I, I read an article in the paper where people talked about the worst gifts they'd ever been given. One person said, my sister gave me a bracelet which was already mine and had been gone for a while. (laughs) A woman named Julie said she received a toilet seat for Christmas. Nothing says Merry Christmas like a new toilet seat, right? Another girl said, I received a sweater that someone had worn, stained, and re-gifted. Okay, nice. Another person said they received a used spatula, another one slipper. Maybe they'll get the other slipper next Christmas. And uh, here's the thing that can happen this time of the year is we re-gift, we re-gift. How many of you have ever re-gifted, which means you received a gift and then you gave that same gift to someone else? You've done that, admit it, I've done it. I think most of us have done it. Okay, here's the key to re-gifting. If you're re-gifting, make sure that you don't re-gift back to the person who gave you the gift in the first place. It's a very awkward moment. Another thing about re-gifting, coming to the fruitcake. How many of you like fruitcake? Come on, seriously, you do not. Do you really like it? I think there's one fruitcake on the face of the earth. No, really, have you ever seen two fruitcakes side by side? No, you have not, because there's one. And it was made sometime in the 50s, and we just keep recirculating it year after year. We just keep re-gifting it again and again. I was thinking about the worst Christmas gift I ever received, and maybe it was on a Christmas morning I asked my mom to get me a Schwinn Stingray bicycle. Do you know what the Schwinn Stingray bicycle is? And this one had what is called a banana seat. It had the little handlebars that were raised up, and this one's really cool. It had a stick shift, a stick shift bicycle. And I wanted it in blue. I made it very clear. I took my mom down to a store called Sea Schwinn Bicycle. This is the one I want. So Christmas Eve, I heard some noise in the front room like something was being assembled. I came out that morning all excited to see my Schwinn Stingray. And instead it was some weird red bicycle that they had bought in a drugstore the night before. They may have been drinking as they assembled it. It was fairly rickety and it had red tires which quickly faded to pink in the sun. Maybe that was the worst gift I ever received. I heard Chuck Swindoll talking about how he told his parents that he wanted a basketball for Christmas. 
And so like a lot of the little kids, he was searching around the house, seeing if he could find what they got him. And he found a round package with a big bow on it. He was excited. He was getting his basketball. Christmas morning, he quickly tore the paper away and it was a world globe, not a basketball. (laughs) Globes don't bounce as well as basketballs. Well, I want to talk to you about the gift. First of all, I want to talk to you about the gift that God has given to us. Then I want to talk about the gift that we can give back to God. And thirdly, I want to talk about the gift that we give to each other. So let's start with the gift God has given to us. Do we really appreciate this gift? I heard about an old woman who actually wrote a letter to God and down at the post office, they they came across it. There was no stamp on it. Hand-lettered letter to God. So the postman opened it up out of curiosity and here's this old woman that says, Dear God, someone stole my life savings of $200. I'm going to have a very hard Christmas. I have nothing to eat. Could you please provide me with $200? Well, his heart was touched. He talked to the other postal workers. They all pitched in. They raised $180. They put the cash in an envelope. They went over to her house, put it in her mailbox. About a week later, they got another letter, again, hand-lettered, had written to God. They opened it up. And she said, dear God, thank you for the $200. It made my Christmas a lot better. But actually, I only received 180 of it. And I think one of those thieving postal workers took (laughs) the other 200. No good deed goes unpunished. She didn't appreciate the gift she had been given. And I think sometimes we don't fully appreciate the gift that God has given to us, which is the gift of Christmas. Now this gift is not under your Christmas tree. This gift cannot be purchased with money. Uh, In fact, if you're a Christian, you already carry this gift in your heart. And if you don't have this gift, I'm gonna tell you how to receive it in a few moments. I'm talking about the gift of Christmas, which is the gift of eternal life. God has given to every Christian the gift of eternal life. Romans 6, 23 says, the gift of God which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the greatest gift you have. Now you'll get certain things under the tree, but they'll quickly go out of style or they'll be yesterday's tech. You know, you get the new phone and the moment you get it, like a week later, they come out with a new updated version. And that drone or new outfit will one day be as dated as a Betamax or a mood ring, right? But then again, some gifts become more precious with the passing of time. Maybe it's a family heirloom, like your grandfather's watch that he gave to your dad, who gave it to you, and you can pass it on to your son as well. Maybe it's a photograph, something really precious, something you would grab if your house was on fire, something that has personal meaning to you. Or maybe it's money put into a savings account by your grandparents, which you did not appreciate when you were a kid. You wanted toys. We put some money in a little account for you, Grandma said. And that's how Grandma sounded, which is sad, (laughs) like this. But then when you hit the age of 18, you looked in that account and found out how much had Uh, developed how much more you had with interest since they started making those deposits and you had a new appreciation for it. Some things become more valuable with the passing of time, including Star Wars figures and their original packaging. 
I read the other day that a first generation Star Wars figure in original packaging can sell for 40, from 45 to $60,000. Can you believe that? I wish I had saved those things. A Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber just sold for $35,000. So check that out. You want to know how to spend $35,000? There it is. And Barbie dolls in original packaging have also become extremely valuable. But I am not giving up any of my Barbie dolls. <laughs> not even one of them. I'm kidding. I don't have any Barbie dolls. But, and in the same way, this gift that God has given to us, this gift of eternal life, will only grow more valuable to you with the passing of time. Now, it's already valuable, but your appreciation of it is going to grow. And especially if you have a better understanding of what it actually is. What does it mean to receive eternal life? What does it mean to receive this gift we're talking about? One of the things that's included in this gift is something called justification. We hear that word. We may even throw the word around, but do we really know what it means to be justified? The Bible says in Romans 5, Therefore we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, so the word justify has a twofold meaning. First it speaks of the forgiveness of sins. So let's just start there. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for you on the cross and shed his blood for you and you turn from your sin, God forgives you of every sin you have ever committed. Just instantaneously, our God has this big eraser and he wipes it away. I love a passage that I came across in Micah recently, 719. God hurls our sins into the sea and there they sink like a stone. That's amazing. And then we're also told in scripture that God forgives our sins and he forgets them. Jeremiah 31, 34, God says, I'll forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. So God not only forgives your sin, he forgets your sin. <laughs> Sometimes we dredge up old sins and we beat ourselves up over them, but God has forgiven you. Why would you choose to remember what God has chosen to forget? So God's forgiven your sin. God has forgotten your sin. As Corey Tin Boom once wrote, God has taken our sins. He's thrown them into the sea of forgetfulness and he has posted a sign that says, no fishing allowed. So that's what God has done for you. Go ahead, clap, get it out of your seat. I love those kind of little, well, you know, just go, commit, commit. It's okay. So, one way to translate the word justification is just as if it never had happened. Isn't that great? Just as if it never had happened. On my keyboard, I have a key that is marked delete. And when I highlight text and I hit the delete key, all of the text immediately disappears. Where does it go to? I have no idea. I don't care. It probably goes to the same place those single socks go to. Why do we only lose one sock? My wife told me the other day, you have an entire drawer filled with single socks that don't match. Why do you save them? Because one day I might find the other sock. Why, you know, are you like that too? But God has forgiven you. But if that, if that was all he did, that would be more than enough. But in the place of that, he has put his 
righteousness. Because justification is a positive side. The word justified means to put to one's account. So he puts the righteousness of Christ in your account. Acts 13, 38 says, Brothers, listen. In this man Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness for your sin. Everyone who trusts in him is freed from guilt and is declared righteous. Listen, I stand before you today as a righteous man. You want to know what a righteous man looks like? Here I am. You're saying, I don't know, Greg. I saw you drive earlier. I'm not so sure you're. I didn't say I always behaved righteously. But positionally, because I've received the gift of eternal life, I'm declared righteous as are you. I'm a righteous man looking at righteous men and righteous women because of what Jesus has done. I'm a living, breathing saint. You want to know what a saint looks like? Here I am. You don't have to, well, you don't have to call me Saint Gregory, but I'm looking at saints. You're all saints. Because the word saint is used interchangeably in the New Testament with the word believer. A believer is a saint and a saint is a believer. Uh, so this is something God has done for us through the gift of eternal life. It's like this. Let's say you got carried away with a credit card and you found yourself in debt for $10 million. You would never repay this debt ever. And some billionaire heard about your plight and decided to pay your debt off. You were so thankful. And then that billionaire said, why don't you go check your balance? And he went down to the bank and found he had put $20 million into your account. That's what God has done for you. He's not only removed your sin, he's not only forgotten your sin and of course forgiven your sin, he has put the righteousness of Christ into your account. And then there's a hope for the future because it's the gift of eternal life. Now when you're younger, you may not appreciate this as much as when you get older. Because when you get older, you know you're closer to the end of your life than the beginning of it and you're gonna enter into the afterlife so knowing that God has given you eternal life, everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. This is truly the gift that keeps on giving, the gift of eternal life. So that's the gift God has given to us. Now let's talk about the gift we give to God. If I were to give you a really nice gift after church, you would say thank you. Then you might say, oh, hey, I got a gift for you too, when you hadn't at all. You open up your trunk and there's something you bought for yourself or someone else. I got this for you, Greg. This is a woman's dress. Oh, for your wife, give it to her. I mean, you know, but your inclination is to reciprocate if someone gives you something nice. So God gives us this gift of eternal life. We think, can I reciprocate? Short answer, no. But there are things I can do for God, things I can give to God. David wrote in Psalm 116, what shall I give to the Lord for all he has given to me? I'll offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and I'll call on the name of the Lord. So, hey, why don't you just start with thank you. If someone gives you a nice gift, say Thank you very much. When we worship the Lord, we're saying thank you very much, Lord. Thank you for this gift of eternal life. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for everything you've blessed me with. 
I give you the glory for it. Listen, there are three things every one of us can give to God. Time, treasure, and talent. Time, treasure, and talent. For sure, there's your time. We all have X amount of hours on a given day. You give your time to the Lord. Lord, this is yours to use for your glory. I want to invest it in you. The Bible says redeem the time because the days are evil. And the word redeem means make sacred and wise use of every opportunity. So give your time to the Lord. Give your talent to the Lord. You have abilities. You have talents. Everyone does that are given to you by God. Give that talent to God. God, how can I serve you? And finally, your treasure. Lord, you bless me with these finances and I want to invest back into your kingdom. And that's something we all can do. And one thing we can do is open our treasures to the Lord and that brings us to the story before us in scripture, the story of the wise men. Now before we read about them, let's dispel some mythology. It has risen about the wise men. First of all, we always hear there are three wise men. The Bible never says there are three wise men. It says they offered three gifts. Knowing guys, there might have been nine of them and they went in on three gifts, I don't know. Not only do we say they're three, we, they have a song. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel afar. The Bible never says they were kings. Actually, the root word of wise men is magi, and we translate that word into magician. These were men that looked to the stars for direction. They were both astronomers and astrologers. You might even call them wizards. They were not kings, they were king makers, powerful individuals. But how did God reach them? How did God enter their world? He came into the world of the stargazers with a star. And that star led them to Jesus who had been born. God reaches us right where we are, doesn't he? He enters our world and it's such an amazing thing. And I'm so thankful he entered my world and he entered your world as well. And so another thing I would point out is the wise men were not present at the birth of Jesus. I know this messes up your nativity scenes because <laughs> you probably have your little manger with the baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph, maybe a camel. Bible never says there were any camels there, but you have a camel and you have a sheep or two. And then you have the shepherds, of course. They've got their little uh, you know, crooked uh, rods there, their staffs. And then you have the wise men, three of them in different color outfits and that's how it works. But the wise men didn't come till later. As we'll discover in a moment, they came to the house where the young boy Jesus was, not the manger where Jesus was born. So if you have wise men in your manger scene, you must remove them immediately. <laughs> they have to go in time out. You can bring them back in two weeks. That's okay. I'm kidding, it doesn't matter. But um, so with this in mind, let's read the real biblical story of the wise men, Matthew 2, verse 9. The star, which they had seen in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Notice it's not the baby, the young child. This is speaking of Jesus. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they came to the house, not the manger, the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. We'll stop there. 
So they came to worship the newborn king. This is the message of Christmas. Not let it snow, nor is it let us shop. It's let us worship. We have come to worship him, these wise men, these magi said to King Herod. And they opened their treasures, verse 11. No leftovers, the very best to be given to the king. You know, it's interesting that they brought such unusual gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Come on, what about a stuffed camel? A PlayStation? An original Luke Skywalker figure? I mean, something. Weird gifts to give to a little child, but they had an insight into the mission of this child who would be the Messiah. Gold because he was a king. Frankincense or incense because he was our high priest that would stand in our stead before God. And finally, myrrh, which is an embalming element because this little child would die for the sin of the world. But they opened their treasures. And I think when you've had a true conversion, it will impact you in every area of your life, including your finances. If a person has really met God, it should affect everything, including their money. Martin Luther said this, and I quote, there are three conversions necessary, the mind, the heart, and the wallet. Some of us have not had the conversion of the wallet yet. But there is a connection, because the gifts that God has given to us are not to be hoarded, they are to be shared. And that's why the Bible says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt nor thieves break in and steal. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So keep this in mind. Do your giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going, right? That's something we all should do. Why? Because... Wealth comes and goes. Proverbs 23, 35 says, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. It will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. <laughs> Have you ever seen that happen? Like, wait, where did my money go? Just go to Disneyland someday and see how fast your money goes. Wait, I, I've spent how much on lunch and how much over here? Uh, it flies away like a bird. I used to have a parakeet named Popcorn. I don't know why I named him that, but he was the coolest little budgie. And he had his little cage. And I would open up the door and I'd stand on the other side of the room and I would call him by name and he would fly and land on my shoulder. Great little bird. So one day I was walking around on Balboa Island and I saw this salty old dude with a parrot on his shoulder. He kind of looked like a pirate. And I walked up to him and I said, how do you keep that parrot from flying away? He says, he won't fly away. He's tame and his wings are clipped. And I thought, well, I wonder if popcorn would do that. So I went home to my birdcage and opened it up, stood on the other side of the room, called popcorn, flew over, landed on my shoulder. I walked around my house a little bit. I think I'm okay. I don't think he'll fly away. I walked outside and he flew away. <laughs> Just like wealth. <laughs> and I never saw him again. For the next two weeks, I walked down that street yelling, popcorn, popcorn. People thought, that man is, that young man is hungry. Throw him a piece of bread or something. Even recently, a week ago, I was walking down the same street. Popcorn, popcorn. That's how wealth can be. So we want to invest it. And that brings me to point number three. 
when we have this gift that God has given us, we can give it to others. You can re-gift. In fact, you should re-gift. The greatest gift you can share in this Christmas season is the gift of eternal life. And people need to see it and hear it. And this is how you can have a happy Christmas because for some, Christmas is not a happy time. Some people find themselves depressed in the Christmas season. Maybe I'm talking to someone that feels down and depressed right now. According to the National Institute of Health, Christmas is a time of year that people experience a high incidence of depression. Hospital and police forces report high incidences of suicide and attempted suicide in the holiday time. One North American survey reported that 45% of respondents dreaded Christmas. Why is that? Well, for some it's sad because maybe they don't have a home to celebrate in. Their parents are divorced or they themselves have broken up with their husband or wife or they lost a loved one and that loved one was with them last Christmas and they're not with them this Christmas or, or something else is going on or maybe it's because they're expecting Christmas to make them happy. Christmas cannot make you happy. Only Christ can make you happy. So we have to kind of keep our focus, it's, right? It's not presence under a tree, it's His presence in our life. That's the message of Christmas. You will call His name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You're not alone. So you find your joy and your happiness in Christ Himself. But if you wanna have a happy Christmas, understand this simple biblical principle from Jesus when he says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the word blessed is interchangeable with the word happy. So allow me to paraphrase that, Jesus speaking. It's more happy making to give than it is to receive. That's counterintuitive. Oh no, it's much better to receive. No, actually, it isn't. You will be happier giving than you will be receiving. And the greatest gift we can give is our love and the gospel itself. So I have a 10-step solution for depression. If you find yourself depressed, 10 steps to be free from depression. You might wanna write these down. Step number one, do something for someone else who has greater needs than you. Write that down. Do something for someone else who has greater needs than you. Step number two, repeat step number one nine more times. Now, I know that's oversimplified and I know there's a such thing as clinical depression. I'm not really dealing with that, but I'm just talking about when you get down to the dumps and you wonder what's wrong. Maybe you need to get your eyes off of yourself and ask yourself the question, how can I do something for someone else? It's a well-documented fact that volunteering elevates mood in most people. And this phenomenon has actually been dubbed the helper's high. The helper's high. It's been assessed biologically in brain imaging studies uh, that you will receive uh, a release of endorphins in your life that brings us, bring a sense of well-being when you do something for someone else. The helper's high. That's amazing. I've heard of the runner's high. I've never experienced the runner's high. Is there an eater's high? I think I've had that. 
How about the helper's high? You know what I'm talking about. When you do something for someone else. It can be a simple gesture, holding the door open for someone. It can be giving a meal to someone, helping out someone else. And this is why I encourage you all to get involved in serving here at Harvest. Because it will be a blessing and a joy to you. You know, if you only come to church and it's all about you and this is what I need and this is what I want, you're gonna have something less than what you should be experiencing in church. A mark of maturity in your spiritual life is when you say, I've received, now I wanna give back. I wanna find a place where I can serve others. You know, when you walk into this church and you're warmly greeted by someone and someone shows you to your seat or they help you park your car or they're ministering to your children while you're here or the other things that folks do, these are volunteers. These are people that are doing this because they love it and they want to. And you know what, they're blessed. There's a blessing in it. And I want all of you to experience that blessing because there's the helpers high. So you could say to someone, hey, you wanna come to church with me this Sunday and get high? Well, (laughs) what kind of church is that? It's a Bible teaching church. And it's a helper's high, come and be a part of it. So this is something that sometimes we miss out on. And one of the greatest joys we can have is sharing the gospel. Psalm 126.6 says, those who go weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. The Bible tells us that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance. You know, just reflecting back on this last year and all that God has done, it's just so incredible to realize that we've been able to reach so many. Last year alone, through our outreach ministries, we were able to see 73,000 people make a profession of faith to follow Christ. Isn't that great? 73,000. You know when after the service is ending and we extend an invitation for people to come to Christ, and sometimes that may be inconvenient for some because they wanna get out and go have lunch or whatever, Did you know that 2,500 people have responded to those invitations this last year alone on Sunday mornings? That's incredible, 2,500 people. And of course, we just celebrated 50 years as a ministry and we have conservatively uh, concluded that there have been over one million professions of faith over these 50 years. So there's joy in this and we love this and we're thankful to God for it and there's a joy in sharing our faith and giving to others as well. So it all comes down to this gift that God has given to us. We must fully appreciate it. The gift we give back to God, which is our privilege, and then the gift that we give to other people. This is where you will find the happiness and joy of Christmas, but just in life in general. Because again, as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You know, 15 years ago, our son Christopher died in a tragic automobile accident. It was the worst moment of our life. We were devastated, and we entered into a time of deep grief, and we mourned for a long time. And I had people say to me and my wife Kathy and our son Jonathan, just take a vacation and get away from it all. We actually tried that. We went on a vacation, and you can't get away from grief. You can't get away from pain. I wanna tell you what helped me in that time because this is very important. 
no thing helped me. Uh, I, what I needed was God. And one of the things that really encouraged us and lifted us in that difficult time was just coming to church. Well, Greg, you're a pastor. Yeah, I'm still a Christian too. I needed to hear the word of God. I need to needed to worship the Lord. And in the immediate aftermath of our son going to heaven, we had some guest speakers and we would come to church and we would worship God and it was so helpful to us. And I'll tell you another thing that helped us. It was helping others. When we were down the road, maybe six months or a year, and then we heard of somebody else losing a loved one, specifically a child, we were able to minister to them. Because when you lose a child, you feel as though your world just ended, literally. Okay? I'm just telling you how it really is. And you don't know how you're going to survive such a thing. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. But when you talk to somebody else who's come through it, they can really help you. Like let's say that you got cancer and you're a cancer survivor and, and you've come through in the other end and thankfully to God and then you found out somebody else just found out they got cancer. They feel like their world just ended. The doctor told them they have cancer and you walk into their life and say, let me tell you how Jesus was with me and how he helped me through this. You, you have a unique quality to minister to that person in a capacity that nobody else has, you see. So here's the deal. We're all gonna have pain in life. We're all gonna have setbacks in life. We're all going to experience things that don't make sense to us. So here's my word of advice. Don't waste your pain. Use it as a tool. Use it as a tool to help other people. As Paul said, we comfort with the same comfort that we've been comforted with. Because when you preach to hurting people, you'll never lack for an audience. And we live in a world full of hurting people. Oh, we don't know the backstory. We don't know why they're so agitated, why they're so upset. They're hurting and they need hope and they need help and most of all, they need Jesus. And that's the greatest gift we can share with people in this holiday season to tell them there's hope in a relationship with God and tell them about the gift. The gift of eternal life that God has offered to them. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What greater gift could God Almighty give to you and to me than his own son? What greater sacrifice could a father make than to offer to you his son? And that's exactly what God did. So what I need to do is receive the gift. When I give a gift to my wife, I'll say, I got you this. She'll go, oh, thank you, and she'll set it down and go back to doing what she was doing. Now, open the gift. Open it now. You give me a gift, I'm opening it the second you give it to me. In fact, men and women receive gifts very differently. Have you ever noticed that? You give a gift to a, a woman, and, and she will carefully undo the ribbon. Excuse me, first she'll read the card. She'll actually read it. And she might even be visibly moved by what she reads. She's reading it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Then she undoes the ribbon. I'm going to save this for later. <laughs> to do what with? I'm saving it. I'll save this paper. Okay. Nice. You give a gift to a man. He'll open the card. You think he's reading it. He's not reading it. He could care less about your card. The only reason he opened it was in hopes he would find either money or a gift card in there. <laughs> so go, uh-huh, wow, thanks, okay. 
And then he'll tear the paper away because he wants to get what is in the box, right? I don't care how you open the gift. Open it carefully, politely, or tear it open. Just take the gift and open it and enjoy it. Listen to this in closing. This gift that God offers us, we either accept it or we reject it. There's no neutral ground. God says, I've given you the gift of eternal life. I offer it to you at no charge. Would you like it? You either say, yes, thank you very much, or no, I don't want it. You say, well, now, Greg, I'm not comfortable with either one of those responses. I would say, let me think about it. Really? So let's say that I took everything that I had and liquidated it and bought you this amazing gift that cannot be returned and I offered it to you. I got this for you because I love you. And you said, let me think about it. Seriously, I just offered you this incredible gift and you're saying, let me think about it. Can you see how that would be insulting to me? So God says, I've given you the ultimate gift. My son died on the cross. He was beaten and tortured for your sin, but I want you to have the gift of eternal life. Oh, wow, nice, hmm, let me think about it. What? That is a rejection. Jesus said you're either for me or against me. Have you received this gift yet? Do you know that when you die you will go to heaven? Is Christ living in your heart? If not, he can come in right now. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. In a moment, we're gonna pray and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to receive the gift. It's up to you. Only you can receive it. Someone else cannot receive it for you. You cannot receive it for someone else. You yourself must say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want this relationship with you. If you want Jesus in your life, if you want to receive the gift, you can do it right here, right now. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift, the gift of eternal life you've given to each and every one of us. And all we have to do is reach out and accept it and receive it and enjoy it. And now I pray for every person that is here and every person that is watching wherever they are, or listening. If they've not received this gift that you offer, help them to see their need for it. Right now we pray. Now while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you want Jesus Christ to come into your life, if you want him to forgive you of your sin, if you want to know that when you die you will go to heaven, if you want to receive the gift, wherever you are, would you just raise your hand up and let me pray for you? saying, I need Jesus today, pray for me. God bless you. Raise your hand up high where I can see it. You want Christ to come into your life? You want this gift of eternal life? You wanna fill that hole in your heart? Raise your hand up and say, pray for me. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Anybody else? Raise your hand up where I can see it, please. God bless you as well. God bless you too, and you. Now some of you are watching this screen, I can't see you but the Lord sees you, but you can all pray this little prayer with me right now that I'm gonna lead you in, a simple prayer, asking Christ to come into your life. So if you want this gift that God offers, if you want Jesus to come into your life, pray this with me. You could even pray it out loud if you like. Pray these words, Lord Jesus, 
I know that I'm a sinner. But I know that you're the Savior. Born in that manger in Bethlehem. Crucified on a cross. Risen from the dead. Come into my life, Jesus. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. I receive your gift of eternal life. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it. Just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.